Caesars Sportsbook is the only sportsbook app with Caesars rewards. That means win or lose, every bet brings you closer to the types of perks only Caesars can offer. Like hotel stays at over 50 iconic destinations, bonus bets, daily profit boosts, tickets to the game, dining, and so much more. Whether you're a new or existing customer, Caesars Sportsbook is always rewarding. Must be 21. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Caesars Sportsbook. Don't just spectate, participate. Twitter and YouTube have announced new terms of use policies banning statements that are true. Users will now be asked to agree not to post any tweets or videos that contain any remark or suggestion that anything that is the case is the case, or that anything that happened happened, or that any self-evident fact is evident or a fact. Users who violate the agreement terms will have their tweets and videos removed from the sites and will be barred from using the sites until they vote Democrat, watch CNN, or otherwise indicate that they have stopped believing in the concept of truth altogether. In the unlikely event anyone views the truth on Twitter or YouTube, those users will be asked to swear by the head of a goat or Joe Biden that they did not believe the said truth or have forgotten they ever saw it or will pretend to have forgotten it and then forget their pretending. The first user who swears to forgo truth-telling in any form whatsoever will be given the Jen Psaki Award for Best Social Media User and will be invited to co-host Good Morning America and will, in fact, be George Stephanopoulos. Included among every true thing that has been banned from the sites are such obvious truths as men can't become women even if they cut off their penises and wear pearls, women can't become men even if they speak in a ridiculously deep voice and hog the remote, and climate change is not an existential threat to anything except souvenir snow globes depicting Miami. Furthermore, any suggestion on either site that the last presidential election was rife with fraud will be edited to replace the word fraud with the phrase happy, happy goodness sparkles. And of course, anything spoken by Donald Trump or anything that sounds like it might be spoken by Donald Trump will be removed as sounding too much like the truth to make any difference. YouTube terms of use also include a provision banning all videos in which doctors fail to inspire unreasoning terror over COVID-19, or which include the words Chinese, Wuhan, or Disney Plus communist death bug in any contest, context that would suggest the disease came from where it came from or should be blamed on the country that is to blame. The doctors in such videos will also be asked to surrender their licenses to practice medicine and will be required to walk on their knees to Denver, Colorado, where they'll be forced to watch the All-Star game until they confess that election security is racist. Any suggestion that election security is not racist, or that anything is not racist, or that the statement something is not racist is not racist, will be removed for being racist, which it won't be, thus violating the terms of agreement. Trigger warning, I'm Andrew Clavin, and this is The Andrew Clavin Show. I feel hunky-dunky, life is tickety-boo. Birds are winging, also singing, hunky-dunky-dee-doo. Ship-shaped, ipsy-topsy, the world is a bitty zing. It's a wonderful day, hurrah, hooray, it makes me want to sing. Oh, hurrah, hooray. All right, we are back laughing our way through the end of Western civilization, and we'll continue laughing right through the dark ages. So you want to subscribe to YouTube and press that little bell button, and uh, someone will come to your door 
uh, and deliver something. It may be content. It may be me. Who knows? You know, it's just a big surprise. But we have, I think, already uh, 17 million uh, subscribers, and we're trying to get down to six or seven. So if you haven't been offended yet or made to feel guilty about something or just disgusted, Stay with us because we'll get to you. Uh, if you leave a comment and the comment is sufficiently ignorant and bigoted, we will read it on the show as fitting right in with the rest of the program. Uh, today we have one from uh, Guy de Lombard, perhaps. Uh, uh, it says, I look forward to Andrew Clavin becoming Marvel's next Red Skull. Uh, we don't want to do that because then Jordan Peterson would be unemployed and it's hard, to, you know, being a supervillain is a hard job to get these days. Uh, we'll have the mailbag later on. And if you want to be in next week's mailbag, here's what you have to do. You have to subscribe to dailywire.com, go to the dailywire.com and sign in, press watch at the top of the page, then scroll down to the Andrew Clavin show. And the mailbag is at the bottom half of the screen. You tip the, you touch the mailbag. You can ask me any question you want. You can ask about your personal life. You can just, you can just scream like that. Who cares? We, we'll put you on if you just scream. You can ask me about your personal life, about religion, about politics. All my answers guaranteed 100% correct and will change your life. And you may say, will they change your life for the better? And I would just say, shut up. I'm tired of listening to you. So all of us have got to fight against big tech censorship. This is what they're doing. They're silencing people who have opinions they don't like to fight back. I use ExpressVPN. I love it. Do you ever wonder how free-to-access tech giants make all their money? They do it by tracking your searches, your video history, and everything you click on. By building a profile on you, they then can sell off your sensitive data. When you use ExpressVPN, an app on your computer or phone, you anonymize much of your online presence by hiding your IP address. That makes your activity more difficult to trace and sell to advertisers. What's more, ExpressVPN encrypts 100% of your network data to protect you from eavesdroppers and from cyber criminals. Revoke big tech's right to your data. Secure your internet with a VPN I trust for online protection. Visit expressvpn.com slash Clavin. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S vpn.com slash Clavin to get three extra months free with my exclusive link, which is expressvpn.com slash Clavin. And I know you say you spelled ExpressVPN. It's ridiculous. Anybody can spell how. Oh, how. Please tell me how do you spell Clavin? It is K-L-A-V-A-N. No E. Exactly. Uh, I want to dedicate that opening to James O'Keefe, our friend at Project Veritas. Veritas, who was permanently banned from Twitter for telling the truth about CNN, for putting up actual videos of a CNN director talking about how they lie. Uh, so he was banned for that. I also want to dedicate the opening to uh, the city manager of the former city manager of Brooklyn Center, Minnesota, Kurt Bogany, who was fired for saying the right and decent thing. And the police chief of, uh, of Brooklyn Center in Minnesota, uh, Tim Gannon, who was also fired for doing everything right. Uh, that's the world we're living in, and I will talk about all of it today. But first, before I talk about all of the news, I want to take a minute to go back to where we ended the last show. And I, I was answering a mailbag question, and I started talking weirdly about rainbows. And the, my point was that the rainbow is a genuine scientific event in nature, something that actually happens to light in nature, but it can only be experienced as a rainbow by the human eye and the human heart. And each human eye and human heart experiences the rainbow differently. But as a rainbow, you can't experience a rainbow as a freight train or an oak tree because then you'd just be nuts. My point was that the same is true of morality, of your own self, your personal experience of yourself, and the presence of God. That is, they're really there, 
and your experience of them is unique to you, but it's not infinitely different than everybody else's. Just like you can't say a rainbow is an oak tree, you can't experience a rainbow as an oak tree and still be sane, you can't say there's no morality or that it's moral to kill a baby in the womb or that a man can become a woman or that there is no God. You can't say those things and still be referring to reality. This is why the truth sets you free. This is why Jesus said the truth sets you free because it's only when you know the truth about the outer world, about reality, the physical world, that you can start to experience the unique way that you experience that reality. That's what I was talking about when I talked about the God-made man or the God-made woman. You you discover that you're a character in the movie God is writing because he created the reality, but you're a unique person who is helping to create that world by your own personal experience. Every single thing you do forms you. So today I got a mailbag question from a fellow named Michael who said he just finished my autobiography, The Great Good Thing. He said it was very inspirational. He says, I've been having a hard time with my relationship with God. I find myself following politics and being extremely saddened by the state of the country, so much so that it is taking away from my relationship with Christ. My question is, do I just stop following politics altogether? And of course, if, if yes, if, if it's making you miserable, stop following politics, do something else that's good for the world, uh, go to a, you know, a homeless shelter and feed people or whatever you want to do. You don't have to follow politics. But I I had to laugh at the idea that you were losing your relationship with Christ because the country was in such bad shape. Because, of course, when Christ was alive, everything was great. The country he was in was in terrific shape. Everybody loved to see him. It was always Jesus, hey, buddy, sit down with us and have a drink. We love talking. Good old Jesus, they used to say, let's do whatever he tells us to do. Obviously, that's not the story, right? Jesus was the ultimate God-made man. He is the standard for the God-made man. He is the guide to how we can be ultimately God, ultimate God-made man by knowing the truth. And if you lived in Rome at the time that Jesus was alive, as we live in Rome today, you would be thinking that the big news was what's going on in the capital. Tiberius has gone to Capri and he's having sex with little boys. You know, this is in Suetonius, the historian Suetonius. He just goes off on Tiberius and talks about what he was doing on the Isle of Capri because Tiberius got tired of being emperor and he just left. He left a guy named Sejanus in his place to kind of take care of Rome. And Sejanus was holding trials and he was putting senators, he was purging senators. And then he started to conspire against Tiberius himself. And Tiberius took time away from sleeping with little boys on the Isle of Capri and came back and killed Sejanus. And that's what you would have thought was the news. And, you know, Jacques Dorcius would have banned anyone who talked about what Tiberius was doing. uh, And he would have banned anyone who said, you know, I think the real news is actually taking place in Palestine where this guy just got crucified. The fact is that just as there is a God-made man, a character that, that your character that God is writing in a play that, he, that he's in charge of, there's also a God-made nation. And what is happening in our nation today is part of a much bigger plan than we can, any of us can see. If you were in Rome, you would have been worried about what was going on in politics. You wouldn't have even been thinking about the fact that Rome was being turned into the perfect vehicle for spreading Greek culture to the barbarians, and that that engine that spread Greek culture to the barbarians was soon going to be spreading Christianity to all of Europe and from Europe all the world. That was the God-made nation. It was full of lies, just like today. It was uh, full of people who wanted to destroy the truth and did destroy the truth, just like today. What's happening here is bad. It's sad because our country is so great. And to see it being taken over by these locusts who hate America, to see it being run, our country actually being run by people who despise America, and I will talk about that too, is painful. But it's not the Holocaust. It's not getting thrown to the lions. 
Your job, our job, my job is to simply be the person that you are meant to be, to tell the truth where the truth has to be told, to stand up where you have to stand up, to be immobile where they want to push you off the dime. Sometimes that means being thrown to the lions. Sometimes that means making a speech to a hostile crowd in Greece or at your university or at your job. And sometimes it just means meeting in the catacombs to make sure you are worshiping the right person at the right time. The point is, you know, giving up on the world because the world is the world is exactly the wrong move. What you are supposed to do is understand that you are in a, a God-made person in a God-made world. And that's why I want to talk about finding the truth, because the truth is what is under assault. It's always under assault. The world hates the truth. And so it's up to us to have courage, to do right, and to fear nothing and find what's real. So if you're like me and you lie awake all night thinking about stuff and wondering what's going on outside your house, you want to get Ring doorbells and security cameras so you can check on your house without getting out of bed because you're comfortable, it's nice, it's pleasant there. Why get out of bed when you can just surround your house with a ring of security? With Ring, you can see and speak to whoever's at your door from anywhere. It's right on your phone. They've got an app. Even if you're traveling or even if you're just lying awake, you'll never miss a visitor, whether it's your neighbor, your dinner, your groceries, and you can keep those packages and deliveries safe. You'll love having the Ring video doorbell. I love them. And you can add security with Ring security cameras around the house. Right now, you can get a special offer on the Ring welcome kit at ring.com slash Clavin. It comes with Ring's Video Doorbell 3 and Chime Pro, the perfect way to upgrade your front door and start your Ring experience. So go to ring.com slash Clavin. That is ring.com slash Clavin. From now on, anybody lurking outside your house, even if it's your mom, you can press the button and say, hey, mom, how do you spell Clavin? And if she knows, Call dad because something is terribly, terribly wrong. You know, the funny thing is when I talk about truth, I'm saying some of the same things that the left is saying. The left tells you that narratives are written by the powerful, right? Who you are is written by the powerful. What women and men are is written by the powerful. Uh, the love of, uh, you know, work and capitalism and making money, that's all just a false consciousness is written by the powerful. And they feel, therefore, that they should seize power so that they can shape the narrative. And they're not lying. They're changing the narrative. What I say is that, yes, narratives are written by the powerful. That's why there's only two kinds of speech. There's free speech and speech curtailed by the powerful to write their own narratives. But there's also something else, which is the truth. And what we are trying to do is not tell our own narrative. We are trying to get closer by half steps always, but trying to get closer to the truth. Now, the big story this week, I think, has been Dante Wright. The, the shooting in, uh, in Brooklyn Center, Minnesota, near Minneapolis, that has caused all these riots. There was another shooting last night, I think it was, in Chicago, a 13-year-old boy who seems by the video to have had a gun, uh, but then to have put the gun away and the cop shot him, not seeing that he had put the gun away when he put his hand up. Uh, I guess the cop was afraid he was going to get shot. Um, but the big story is that these are the big stories, because these are not big stories. These are small stories. These are nothing stories. These are back-of-the-book stories. They are not the important things that are happening in this country. They are The very fact that they're being covered the way they're being covered is a lie. So let's just take this Dante Wright story. I'm sure you've heard all the details, but we'll talk about it a little bit. If you've got the uh, video of it, you guys, you can play it in the background. Uh, he was stopped for uh, driving with his registration expired. I've been stopped for that. They then found that he had um, an outstanding warrant 
they were putting him in handcuffs. He tried to escape uh, a police officer who was who was training the other officer. She was a veteran, twenty uh, six year old veteran, twenty six year veteran named Kim Potter. She obviously thought she was pulling a taser on the guy uh, and was shouting taser, taser, taser. And then she pulled the trigger and said, "Oh, blank." I shot him because she suddenly realized this has happened about eight. This has happened. Uh, been a, there's been a trial over this. There have been a, accusations of, of using a taser by accident for the last 20 years. People say, oh, a gun is much heavier than a taser. That's true. Police officers usually wear their gun on their right hip and their taser on their left hip so they can tell the difference. And that is true. But anybody who thinks this doesn't happen has never been in a physical confrontation where things get very panicky and very exciting uh, very quickly. And this guy was getting back into his car. He was breaking away from his car. Now, there are lies throughout this story. There are lies throughout this story. For instance, that he, he had a, um, an outstanding warrant. It was almost impossible for a long time to find out what the hell that outstanding warrant was for, right? But it was, and people kept saying, well, it was for having a gun, uh, you know, that he wasn't supposed to have, uh, having an unlicensed gun. And even in the uh, Wall Street Journal, they said the warrant was filed for Mr. Wright for carrying or possessing a pistol without a permit and fleeing a police officer. This is described as a minor crime, says the Wall Street Journal. But no, he had an open warrant related to an armed robbery case against him. This is coming from the New York Post, uh, where he, when he was shot dead, he and another man had been charged with first-degree attempted aggravated robbery in December 2019 for allegedly trying to steal 820 bucks from a woman at gunpoint. According to Hennepin County District Court documents, the pair crashed at the victim's home, then demanded money, saying, give me the money, pointing the gun at her, gun at her. Uh, we'll leave when we get the money. And then w- when he was uh, accused of that, he wasn't supposed to carry a gun. Then he carried the gun. That was what the warrant was four, right? So it was actually, this guy was another one, allegedly, allegedly was accused of being another one of these violent guys. He ran away from the law. It is tragic that this woman police officer made this mistake because legally, I think she's been charged with manslaughter. Legally, it is, uh, you know, I I don't know what you would call it, involuntary manslaughter. It's an accidental thing. She is responsible for doing this. But the tragedy here is not that a violent criminal in trying to break away was killed. I mean, that's sad. He didn't, you know, deserve to die for uh, resisting arrest. But that's, but that's the kind of thing you risk happening. The tragedy is this woman's career is now over, and she may have to go to prison for it. And she was somebody who was trying to serve the community instead of holding a gun in a woman's face uh, and and telling people and get, you know, saying, "Give me the money, give me the money," you know. But the big lie about this, the big lie is that this is a new story. People die every single day, right? They die of all kinds of uh, causes. Children, 2,000 children in America about are aborted every day. Uh, you know, there's a, a, 30, a, a boy was uh, shot by a cop in Chicago, but shot, I mean, in Chicago, not by a cop, by a stray bullet. Somebody just pulled up and started uh, shooting about shooting at them. Black victims of homicide most often at the hands of black career criminals who are undeterred because of the public policy focusing on uh, hurting police officers, black homicide rate was 12.9 times higher than the white homicide rate from 2010 to 2015, and homicide was the leading cause of death for black people under 35. And we know that blacks were 14% of the country, and really it's black males, so it's 7% of the country because almost all murders are committed by men. We know that that 
accounts for 50% of the murders in the country. So every time you hear somebody going on with the talking point and saying, well, cops kill more blacks than white people, it's a different situation. It is a different situation. And I'm not saying what the cause of blacks committing so much crime is, but I know one thing, it's not the fault of the police. Powerful people choose what story is being told. If someone tells another story, like James O'Keefe, he is kicked off Twitter by people more powerful than he is, right? So the story, the very fact of the story is a lie because what is this telling people is this is something that's happening, that police are killing, uh, you know, black people uh, en masse. You know, everything, every attempt to tell the truth here has been met with an attempt to transform it into a lie by the press, by the techno, by the tech giants, by spokespeople and activists. You know, the police chief, Tim Gannon, has now been fired. This was his reaction. He came out and said, it, it, it's an accident. This is cut 12. As I watched the video and listened to the officer's commands, it is my belief that the officer had the intention to deploy their taser, but instead shot Mr. Wright with a single bullet. This appears to me, from what I viewed, and the officer's reaction in distress immediately after that this was an accidental discharge that resulted in the tragic death of Mr. Wright. You're fired. You're fired. That's obviously true. Watching the video, you're fired, pal. Here's what Rashida Tlaib, congresswoman who hates America, said. She says it wasn't an accident. Policing in our country is inherently and intentionally racist. No no proof of this at all. Dante Wright was met with aggression and violence. I am done with those who condone government-funded murder. No more policing, incarceration, and militarization. It can't be reformed. This is Rashida Tlaib, who is guarded, by the way, by federal troops who are marching around Washington because she's so afraid of those horrible Trumpies with their funny moose horns or whatever, Viking horns or whatever the hell the guy was wearing. She's so afraid of them. She's got federal troops, but not for you, my friend. You cannot have police in your neighborhood. We've got to get rid of those police. Here's what Rashida Tlaib, same woman, had to say about the the killing of blacks in Chicago by random gunfire from other people in their neighborhoods. This is cut eight. Yeah, so it's a little different, a little different reaction. You know, Jason Johnson, he is a political commentator, and he was on, and he put the case that the left is trying to make and has been trying to make since Obama, right? This is something that's been going on behind the scenes, and I'll tell you what it really is in just a second, but let's hit, listen to what uh, Johnson says, cut 16. I've been saying we need to abolish American policing as it currently exists. It doesn't work. You know the average homicides that are actually solved by police departments? Only about 35%. You know the number of rapes and sexual assaults that are solved by police departments? You know, less than 60%. You know the percentage likelihood of being shot unarmed as a black person is like five times as likely than a white person? Policing doesn't work the way we're doing it right now. And if we have that level of endemic failure in any other government agency, every politician in America would say, not just reimagine, we need to tear this down to the studs and rebuild it. So since he's full of facts and figures, here's a Gallup poll that was conducted from June 23rd to July 6th, surveying more than 36,000 U.S. adults, found that 61% of black Americans said they'd like police to spend the same amount of time in their community. 20% answered they'd like to see more police. That's 
81%. You can't get 81% of Americans to agree on anything, but 81% want as much police or more police. Why? Because in Minneapolis, police activity following George Floyd's death while he was in custody dropped 42%. The police didn't want to act, so their activity dropped 42%. And possibly as a result, at least concurrently, murders surged 64%. The report, according to a report that uh, from the Enforcement Legal Defense Fund in 10 major cities where cops were sharply criticized, police activity dropped and murders rose. Okay, that's what goes on. And here's what uh, Jason Johnson had to say about all those fresh murders that are happening because of his kinds of suggestions. This is cut 10. So what's this all, you know, what's it all about? He keeps saying he wants to end policing as it's done now. During the Obama administration, it's my belief, by the way, that this narrative comes out of the Obama administration when his policies began to fail. His economic policies began to fail. His foreign policy set the Middle East on fire. He start, that's when he started to pull the race card repeatedly because that's the one thing that never fails with the left. The race card is always their go-to when their actual policies are making life worse. When you get more murders in your city, when you get more homelessness in your city, when everything is falling apart, you can always call, cry race, race, race. The media will rush in to support you in that narrative and you, and you move on to the next thing. And nobody says, hey, wait a minute, all your policies suck. That's what happened to Barack Obama. Barack Obama was a mediocre man. He was a failed president and he used the race card instead. And what they would do is they would come into these communities and badger the local police until finally they agreed to federal oversight. Once the federal oversight came in, they were restricted. The rules of engagement became so restrictive that crime began to rise in those cities, but the police were taken away from those cities, just like is happening now. And, and so the idea is for not to get rid of policing. Don't mistake that. Don't think that. It's to get rid of local policing. It is to make the federal government your police force because they want control of everything. So here's the police chief, the former police chief now fired. Riots start in Minneapolis. These riots are caused by the news media. They are caused by this narrative being the narrative of the left and the, and the news media. If they were not reporting these things, I mean, I mean it's as if it's as if if every killing, if every murder that was taking place in these neighborhoods was reported at the level of these police shootings, which are very rare, by the way, I think there were something like 18 last year, 18 of unarmed shootings of unarmed people. And that doesn't mean they were innocent people, right? Doesn't mean they were innocent people. These are shoot, this shooting, obviously, in Minnesota was a mistake, right? It was obviously a mistake. She thought she was going for a taser. What's the problem? Where's the racism? The cop who was handcuffing him at the time was black, just to say, just to put that point in, he was black. So where's the racism? Where is it inherently racism? Where is it intentional? How does, how does Rashida Tlaib even get those words out of her mouth? Why, you know, you would just think like a hand would come up, a flaming hand would come up from the ground and pull her down where she belongs for saying this is intentional on the police sport on the police's part. It's just disgusting. So now there are riots in Minneapolis. This is the stuff that really gets to me, though. Riots in Minneapolis, former police chief, now fired, comes out and says this. this is cut 14. Just so everybody's clear, I was front and, front and center at the protest, at the, at the riot. Um, we did not... There was. So I was, we were being, the officers that were putting themselves in harm's way were being pelted with frozen cans of pop. They were being pel belted with concrete blocks. And yes, we had our helmets on and we had other protection gear, but an officer was injured, hit in the head with a brick, brick 
That was a Hennepin County deputy. He was transported to the hospital. So we had to make decisions. You know, I, in my youth, I was a reporter and I worked in a small county where we had a very tough police force who did not like the press and liked to do things secretly and kind of ran the county uh, in a very, very tough way. And we tried to get them to tell the truth. Now, obviously, the job description of a reporter has changed. The police officer gets up and he tells them it's a riot. He is the guy who's out there with his helmet on having soup cans thrown at him. And the press says, don't say it's a riot. The, the press tells him what, tells the, the, the public official what he should say to get the narrative right. That's that's the state of truth in our country. The, the press, the people whose job it is to bring you what people say, their job is to bring you what they see and what people say and what public officials say and to get at the truth. They're actually telling a police chief to lie. Police chief, you're fired for telling the truth. The city manager, Kurt Bugani, comes out and was asked what's going to happen. This is before the uh, police officer resigned and is now charged with manslaughter. Before that, the police, they were asked, the city manager, Kurt Bogani, what was going to happen? Here's what he said. Cut four. All employees working for the city of Brooklyn Center uh, are entitled to due process with respect to discipline. Uh, this employee will receive due process. And that's really all that I can say today. You're fired. He's fired. <laughs> He's fired for saying the two process. The mob is in control. Why? Because the mob is serving the powerful. The mob is serving the narrative of the powerful. The powerful made this mob. The press made this mob. They created this mob by making this the narrative, right? The entire narrative is a lie. The narrative that the police are shooting black people or going around inherently racist, in, intentionally shooting black people, it's all a lie. The entire thing is a lie, but the lie is being used to stir up the mob. The mob is being stirred up so that the federal government can come in and replace the local police force. It is the powerful controlling speech, controlling the narrative to get more power. That's all it is. And you know who knows it? The people on the street know it. When they have a poll that says 81% don't want the police to go away, here's a guy coming up to a reporter from CNN and telling her to get out of town because she's causing the problem. This is cut seven. Now you can see. Now you can, you can see. see y'all be twisting up the story. You want to talk to me? Do you want to talk to me? Okay, cool. Talk. Don't take my mic, I'll but talk. we're cool. I'll okay. Talk. Go what ahead. Is your, what's your name? What's my name? My name is my name. All right. So tell me what you think about what's going what on. What I think here. about this yeah. is all the press and all the extra shit y'all do makes this worse. You think so? Yes. We when people want to protest, yeah. they shouldn't do it in front of a police. This, yeah, courthouse, shit like that. You get what the fuck I'm saying? I want you to be careful. I want you to be careful. I really of do. What? Of anything that can of hit what? you. Of anything that can hit you. Look at of all the stuff. What? Of this. Of what? Of this. Do it look like I'm scared? No, you don't. Do it you look don't. like I'm scared? You don't. You don't. Exactly. Y'all need to get up out of here with all that twisting up the media ass Okay. Real you don't know me, but we're going to get, get to know each other. No, we're not going to get to know each other. She's going home. She's going home. What a condescending lady. What a condescending person that is. Oh, we're going to get to know each other. She ain't going to get to know this guy. She's not even listening to what he's saying now. He's telling her the truth. But we know what happens. You're fired. You tell the truth. You're out of there. You are fired. You know, this is one of the things that gets me about Donald Trump. All the whole thing about Donald Trump was he lied. Donald Trump was an exaggerator. He used to exaggerate a lot. He What did he call it? He called it the truthful exaggeration or something like that. This is a cut from our friends at Newsbusters of Donald Trump telling the truth about these guys bringing soup cans. They bring soup cans to these things, and they and and these a lot of these people come from out of the neighborhood. They come from out of the neighborhood, and they bring soup cans because soup cans not a weapon until you throw it at a cop. And a soup, you know, you can imagine what it's like to be hit by a soup can. This is what happened when Trump told the truth about this. And then they have cans of soup. 
soup, and they throw the cans of soup. That's better than a brick, because you can't throw a brick. It's too heavy. But a can of soup, you can really put some power into that, right? Yes, sir. And then when they get caught, they say, no, this is soup for my family. They're so innocent. This is soup for my family. <laughs> Whoa. Cans of soup, thugs yeah. on airplanes yep. wearing black uniforms, people you've never heard of who were in the dark shadows. It's all from our president. He's just got these ideas. Trump stokes fear with bizarre stories about mysterious people on a plane emerging from the dark shadows, preying on the defenseless masses with bags of soup. Okay, and here is a guy at this Minnesota riot, which is not a riot. If you say it's a riot, you're fired. We'll have to fire you from this show. We will personally come to your house and fire you if you say this riot was a riot because the truth is banned. Here is a guy, and if this guy comes from that neighborhood, if he comes from Brooklyn Center, Minnesota, I will eat my shoes. This guy is carrying a can of soup, and the interviewer from CNN who <laughs> wouldn't listen to that guy telling her she was a liar. I don't know if this is the same woman. He's interviewing this guy with a can of soup. This is cut three. Tiger, you have been out here. Did you have you been out here the last couple of days? Yeah, yeah. Well, I've been here uh, all four nights. Uh, I'm just standing here today with uh, soup for my family, and uh, we're just you know watching all of this unfold. It's very unfortunate. You're not planning on using that, are you? Throwing Absolutely. it at the police? Like I said, it's for my family. Literally for your family. Yeah. Yeah, he's dressed all in black, just like Trump said. He's got a black hood on. He holds up the thing. If you can't see it, he holds it up to the camera and he says, I've got soup for my family. He gives you a big wink, a big hilarious wink, because he's going to be throwing that at a cop. It is a lie within a lie within a lie. And the thing that is happening is that the, or the powers that be, who include the corporate press, who include Jack Dorsey over at Twitter, who include Facebook, who include YouTube, all of these powers that be are not just lying, they are censoring, killing the truth. And we know that this happens, and we know that it has happened throughout history, and it's happening now. We know what the mob do. We know how the powerful use the mob. You know, you only have to read the story of the crucifixion to find what mob mob does to the truth and how the powerful gin up the mob. You can see it. It's all right there in the Bible, and it's all right there in Minnesota, and it's all happening here today. All right, picture this. Your car is sitting useless in your driveway because it needs a part. So you get in your car, you pretend to drive to the auto parts store. You ask the guy who's not even there because you're still stuck in your driveway. You ask him, can I have uh, the right part for my car? He says, I can't help you because I'm not here. You could have just used rockauto.com and made not only made sense of your life, but you got to, gotten to say rockauto.com. When you say rockauto.com, people respect you more. Girls will melt at your feet, and you can go on your computer and get the car parts that you need right there at a price you can afford. The rockauto.com catalog is unique. It's remarkably easy to navigate, and you get to say rockauto.com. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. Go to rockauto.com right now and see all those parts available for your car or truck. Write Clavin in their How Did You Hear About Us box so they know we sent you. And you got to say the same way, Clavin, which is K-L-A-V-A-N. There are no E's. Ask your doctor about court packing today. Side effects may include increased judges, one-party state, political retribution, and or civil war. Court packing. Brought to you by the Democrats. I love the court packing story. You know, it, it seems like it would be a small thing to ask that the people who run for election to govern this country like the country. 
you know, that they think like, hey, this is a good country. I want to govern the country, make it better, do, you know, have some reforms and all this. But they hate the country. They hate it essentially, by which I mean they hate what it is. They hate its founding, its formation, everything that it is. And then they say, and vote for me, <laughs> vote for me. Now, you know, Joe Biden, you know, the guy's a venal houseplant, as I keep saying. You know, he's hardly there. But and he's being governed by the, clearly being governed by the left. During the elections, you'll remember uh, he said that he wasn't going. You don't deserve to know whether he's going to pack the court. That's what he said. You don't deserve to know whether he's packed the court. Uh, when he would talk about uh, FDR trying to pack the court, uh, he would call it a bonehead move. So then he comes in and he says, "Well, we're going to have a commission. We're going to have a commission to study packing the court." And while he's doing the commission, the Democrats start to put together a law, a bill to add four seats to the Supreme Court, all of which, of course, would be appointed by them. And uh, even Nancy Pelosi realized that this was going to kill them in the midterms, and she says she's not going to take a vote on that uh, on that bill. But this is, look, this is who they are. When they lose elections, they want to get rid of the electoral college. They want to pack the court when they lose the majority. They want to censor speech when they lose the argument. They do not care about, you know, they don't put the country first. They don't say, first, we're going to do the the things in this country, and we're going to have to win on those standards because they know that they're right and we are evil. And if you, you know, if you think they don't hate the country, listen to them. You know, here is, here is the woman that your president, President Venal Houseplant, appointed to the as United Nations ambassadors is Linda Thomas Greenfield, okay? Now, what's her job? Her job is to go before the nations of the world, which include Iran, which includes China, which include Russia, nations who are arresting their minorities, that are brainwashing their religious people, that are invading other countries, threatening to invade other countries, that are causing terror. And she's Her job is to represent us at that gathering. Here's what she says about America, cut 24. I grew up in the segregated South. I was bused to a segregated school. On weekends, the Klan burned crosses on lawns in our neighborhood. I shared these stories and others to acknowledge on the international stage that I have personally experienced one of America's greatest imperfections. I've seen for myself how the original sin of slavery weaved white supremacy into our founding documents and principles. (laughs) Thanks. Thanks for standing up for America. I know when you go before Iran, you're going to be a powerful voice for America. This is what the Chinese are saying about us, by the way. This is how the Chinese, this is the whataboutism that the Soviets used to use. And now the Chinese are using it to say, you know, you guys have real problems, real civil rights problems. So don't tell us about putting Uyghurs in concentration camps. Don't tell us about the disappearing uh, Christians who get brainwashed. Don't tell us about women being tied down and having their children forcibly taken out of their bodies because they don't want to... They want to control the population. Don't tell us about that stuff. You guys got a problem. She's on board. She can go over in the UN. She can talk to the Chinese ambassador. They can have a final time talking about how awful America is. And the thing about it is, it's another lie. It is not a lie to say there's been racism in this country. It's not a lie to say that slavery was horrific. It's a lie to say that slavery or racism is in our DNA, as the New York Times put it. DNA controls what you become. If you have the DNA of an oak tree, you become an oak tree. You have the DNA of a dolphin, you become a dolphin. If you had the DNA of racism, you would become more and more racist. In fact, this country has become less and less racist. We have DNA of liberty. We have the DNA of equality. That's why we become more and more of what we are. But they don't want that to happen because the power is, again, it's the power. They know, you know, a lot of uh, black, not a lot, but a certain number of blacks shifted to Donald Trump in the last election. Uh, Black men, especially, 
who liked having jobs. They thought that was a kind of nice thing to have a job. They shifted to Donald Trump. They cannot allow that bleeding to keep going on. They've got to make sure that blacks still feel put upon. That's why they're telling these stories. They're telling these stories to control black people. Democrats are like from slavery to Jim Crow to the KKK to this, to this stuff, defund the police. They are like locusts in the lives of black people. They are the worst thing that ever happened to black Americans. Here's Kristen Clark talking about hating our country. She's up to run the storied civil rights division of the Justice Department, which is a good thing. It is a thing that has gone into states when states weren't taking care of this and prosecuted people. Here is uh, Mike Lee. She's being questioned for her confirm, uh, you know, for being confirmed to run the civil rights division of the Justice Department. Here he is telling her all the things that she has (laughs) she has called racist through the years. Is cut twenty five. Ms. Clark, I want to read a non-exhaustive list of, of um, elements of American society, uh, elements that you have at one point or another described in the past as racist. Police departments, federal agencies, Airbnb, election laws designed to combat fraud, the workplace, America's DNA, the Virginia Military Institute, the healthcare industry, federal courts, and the Department of Justice. But please, but please become the civil rights uh, head of the civil rights division of the Department of Justice. You'll fit right in with the ambassador to the UN. You can get together with the Chinese ambassador. You can all sit around talking about how much America stinks. And the other one is this Patrice Kahn Coolers. I don't know how to pronounce it. This is the woman who's called herself a trained Marxist who is running Black Lives Matter. And she has gone on, she was caught essentially going on a real estate buying binge where she bought four high-end homes in mostly white neighborhoods for $3.2 million in the U.S. alone. Now, Black Lives Matter says they weren't paying her much, so she wasn't getting the money from the donations. But that's not the point. She's obviously got big money, right? But this is what she had to say about, about capitalism, the system that she is living off. This is cut number five. While the, the COVID-19 and, and the illness is tragic, What's more tragic is capitalism. Which, what's more tragic is racism. What's more tragic is our inability to actually create um, a safety net for communities that are most attacked in this moment by both the crisis and the pandemic of racism, but also the crisis and pandemic of COVID-19. So she, worse, than pande- worse than the pandemic is capitalism. So now she goes on this buying street and Mark Lamont Hill, another make-believe socialist, another guy who pretends he's a socialist while living uh, high off the hog, off his job. Mark Lamont Hill questions her from the left and listen to her response. It's amazing. Cut 34. There's mm-hmm. also a critique, though, from the left that would say, um, if you are a trained Marxist, if we're talking about a certain kind of radical politic, that extravagant homes of any sort or multiple properties of any sort is itself contradictory to the ideology that you hold. And so it's not about having money per se, but that it's about, uh, or about property per se, but it's about there being a potential contradiction between your express politics and your lived practice. Sure, and I think that is a critique that is um, wanting. And I say that because um, the, the, the way that I live my life is in direct support to Black people, including my Black family members, uh, first and foremost. And uh, for so many Black folks who are able to invest um, in themselves and their community, they choose to invest in their family. And that's what I've chosen to do. 
<laughs> Guess who else wants to do that? Everybody. Every color of person wants to do that. Everybody wants to take care of their family. Everybody wants to buy million-dollar homes. Everybody wants to do well. That's why capitalism is such a terrific thing. That's why your stupid Marxism doesn't work. That's why people don't want it, including the people in the neighborhoods she's talking about. They want to invest in their families, too. We want them to invest in their families, and I want to invest in my family. We all do. Let me put forward the big lie. The big lie is race itself. The big lie is that people are about the color of their skin, that people should be defined by the people who hate them. The big lie is that we're not about the ideas that, and the experiences that we have. You know, they talk about lived experience as if it can be anything you want. But again, going back to what I was saying at the beginning, your lived experience has to be in keeping with reality. The reality is that liberty is good for everybody. The reality is, is that police are necessary in tough neighborhoods. The reality is that capitalism lifts all boats. You don't just get to say, I feel this way. This makes me feel good. It is all about power when Whenever anybody starts talking about race as a definitive quality in a person, whenever they're talking about it, hold on to your wallet because it's about power. It's about money. It's all, it is all a big lie. So if you're listening to the show, you're probably some right-wing lunatic who thinks at any minute the government is going to shut down the economy and tell you not to go outside. And so you need to have emergency meals. I know that would never happen in real life, but if it does, you want ReadyWise. They make emergency meals. They also make freeze-dried fruits and vegetables for convenient on-the-go nutrition. And they even have adventure meals for hiking, camping, and other outdoor activities. ReadyWise makes being prepared simple and affordable. You can order online and have nutritious meals shipped directly to your doorstep. When government resources are strained, it can be days, if not weeks, before fresh food is available. Don't put yourself in a situation where you need food during an emergency. Prepare today. They use the finest ingredients. They have the latest food preparation technology to ensure optimal taste and freshness. And this week, my listeners can get 10% off at ReadyWise.com when entering Claven at checkout. Or you can call 855 474 4084. ReadyWise has a 30-day, no-questions-asked return policy, so there's no risk in taking the initiative to get you and your family prepared today. That's ReadyWise, R-E-A-D-Y-W-I-S-E.com. Promo code CLAVEN to get 10% off. <laughs> You'll notice I spelled ReadyWise, but some of you are scratching your head and saying, yeah, but, but how do you spell CLAVEN? It's K-L-A-V-A-N. All of which brings me to Shakespeare. <laughs> I may have talked about this once before, but I want to talk about it again because I think it's incredibly important. If you want to read more of what I've written about this, there's an article called A Nation of Iagos, I-A-G-O-S, which is the obviously the villain from Shakespeare's play Othello. And it is about race and the concept of race and how race uh, actually works and operates in human life, according to Shakespeare. And it tells us to me, something about the left and how they are using black people and how they're destroying black people. That's whether they're white or black leftists. It doesn't matter, obviously. It's not the race. It's the ideas. Now, I, I grew up I, I grew up as a Jew in a Jewish community, a mostly Jewish community, uh, where we loved America. I loved America. And I was my heroes were all not Jewish people. They were Mickey Mantle and John Glenn and astronauts and baseball players and things like that. And I loved literature. I came to love literature pretty early on in my in my teenage years when I really started reading. And I noticed that the Jews were the other in Western civilization. Whatever I read, uh, you know, The Sun Also Rises, Ernest Hemingway was one of my 
big heroes. He had the evil Jew, Robert Cohn. Uh, obviously, Dickens was a great writer. He had Fagin. And Shylock was the Jew in Shakespeare. And all of these were very negative images, right? And I suppose that I could have said, oh, well, uh, anti-Judaism is in our DNA, which would have been closer to the truth, by the way, than saying that racism is in our DNA, because since this was a Christian country and uh, Christianity began with the idea that the Jews had rejected Christ, the Jews had killed Christ, which I think was a way of not taking the blame, which is on all of us. I, I, instead of saying that, I started to look for what all this meant and what it was all about. And Shakespeare, in many ways, is the, the formative influence on my idea of what human beings are. And I would go further than that and say he's the formative influence on you, on what you think human beings are. But people who don't know Shakespeare don't know he's their formative influence, right? He is so, his ideas are so pervasive, uh, so completely transformative, so perfect in their depiction of the world, the Western world that was coming into being in the in 1600, around 1600, that he really not only describes it, he almost invents it. Some people say he, he invented it. Now, he has three plays that deal with black people. One of them is The Merchant of Venice. And The Merchant of Venice is obviously about the evil Jew Shylock. And a lot of people think that Shylock is a sympathetic character because he makes the famous speech, has not a Jew eyes, you know, he's not a Jew like anybody else. But in fact, that is that speech is not really a sympathetic speech. Shylock is an evildoer. Now, Shakespeare was a brilliant writer, so he didn't make him an unsympathetic evildoer, but he is an evil guy, and he's evil because of his Jewishness. Here's that speech. Al Pacino does it in, in his movie version of The Merchant of Venice, and he gets it right. He gets the tone of it right. It's an angry speech. It's cut 28. He hath disgraced me and hindered me half a million, laughed at my losses, mocked at my gains, scorned my nation, thwarted my bargains, cooled my friends, heated mine enemies, and what's his reason? I am a Jew! Had that a Jew eyes? Had that a Jew hands? Organs? Dimensions? Senses? Affections? Passions? Fed with the same food, hurt with the same weapons, subject to the same diseases, healed by the same means, warmed and cooled by the same winter and summer as a Christian is. If you prick us, do we not bleed? If you tickle us, do we not laugh? If you poison us, do we not die? And if you wrong us, shall we not revenge? To see, he's actually, what he's saying is society has mistreated me, so I have the right to strike back. And what Shakespeare is saying is, no, that is the Christian way is that the quality of mercy is not strained. So in other words, you have to forgive. And Shylock has no vehicle for forgiveness because he's a Jew. It is an anti-Jewish play. There's no question about it. But it's not a racist play. It's very, Shakespeare is very clear about this, that the problem is not his race, it's his philosophy. And when I say he's clear about it, is because Shylock has a daughter, and the daughter is one of the good guys. The daughter falls in love with one of the guys that we like, and somebody says to uh, Shylock, there is more difference between thy flesh and hers, your daughter, than between jet and ivory, between black and white, and there is more difference between your bloods than there is between red wine and Rhenish, which is white wine. So he's saying it's, it's a question of black and white. You guys are so different, and your blood is different, even though 
you are the same race. So Shakespeare was not convinced that race uh, was the motivating factor. He was really putting it on the uh, on the religion. He was putting it on Shylock's ideas. Now, I, as I say, he has three black characters. And the first one, the earliest one, is Aaron the Moor uh, from Titus Andronicus. And Titus Andronicus uh, is very early. It may have been a collaboration it's, I think it's a terrible play. It's, it's, a, it's not a terrible play. It's just kind of grotesque. It's violence is grotesque. It has one of my favorite uh, hilarious stage directions in it. Enter a me- messenger carrying two heads and a hand. <laughs> it actually has a guy come in carrying two heads and hands. It's just a blood-drenched play. And Aaron the Moor is a violent, evil, he's an evil, evil person. He is oversexed. He's kind of a black stereotype. And he even says, he says, let fools do good and fair men call for grace. Aaron will have a, his have his soul black like his face. And that's that's basically what he says. And at the end, when he is finally convicted and finally caught out for his crimes, he talks about how much he has loved raping women, killing people. He's so evil. He even, he's so evil that he even will dig up dead bodies just to remind people who are grieving to still grieve. Here's Aaron the Moor from Titus Andronicus 29. Oft have I digged up dead men from their graves and stood them upright at their dear friends' doors, even when their sorrows was almost forgot, and on their skins, as on the barks of trees with my knife I have carved in Roman letters. Let not your sorrow die, though I am dead. I have done a thousand dreadful things as willingly as one would kill a fly. But what grieves me so heartedly indeed is that I cannot do 10,000 more. (laughs) He's a a bad guy, and he relates it to the, let my, you know, let me be as black, my deeds be as black as my face. And so, but Shakespeare, that's an early play, a collaboration, and Shakespeare's ideas start to mature as he goes forward, as people's ideas do mature. He gets to the Merchant of Venice, and he's thinking, obviously, about race. He is thinking, well, this Jew is evil because his religion has no room for the quality of mercy. However, it's not about his blood because his daughter is a good person. So it is true, as Shakespeare said, that all that glitters is not gold, but all that's gold does glitter. And did you know that gold is predicted to hit 3000 bucks in the next year? Under the last Democratic president, gold went from 700 to $1,900 in two years. That's almost 300% growth. What better way to protect yourself from the imminent tax hikes under our new venal houseplant president than with gold investment? Monetary Gold is a precious metals company whose biggest focus is helping savers protect their portfolio by setting up self-directed IRAs. They only offer precious metal products that are IRS approved. Call 888-201-7717 to get your free gold guide from the folks at Monetary Gold. Monetary Gold is here to help you take advantage of a sound investment. Call 888-201-7717. Call Monetary Gold at 888-201-7717 to get your free gold guide. He then has the famous character of Portia, who is beautiful and wise and just one of his true heroines. She is just somebody that everybody loves. And her father, in order to make sure that after he was dead, she wouldn't just fall in love with somebody who didn't deserve her, has left a puzzle that her suitor has to 
solve in order to win her hand. He has three caskets, little boxes. One of them is gold, one of them is lead, one of them is silver, I think. And if you choose the casket that has her picture in it, you win her hand. And this is her wise father who has set up a test that only a wise man can solve, right? And the, one of the first people who comes to win this, win her hand, because everybody's heard how wonderful she is and everybody wants to marry her, is a Moor, the Prince of Morocco. And he's a black guy. And he says to her, mislike me not for my complexion, the shadowed livery of the burnished sun to whom I am a neighbor and near bred. Bring me the fairest creature northward born to prove whose blood is reddest, his or mine. So like Shylock, he says, he says, I have red blood in my veins. I'm a warrior. I'm a cool guy. You know, I live in the, in the sun, so my face is black, but don't judge me by that. And she says, she says, I won't. I won't uh, be fooled. She says, in terms of choice, Portia says, I am not solely led by nice direction of a maiden's eyes. So she may not like the way he looks. She may not like black skin, but she's not going to judge him by that. But then the funny thing happens is that the, Mor the Moroccan, the Prince of Morocco, chooses the gold casket. He is fooled by the outward show of the casket. And of course, he gets it wrong, and there's a message inside. This is cut 30. Oh, hell. What have we here? All that glistens is not gold. Often have you heard that told. Gilded tombs do worms enfold. Are you well? Your suit is cold. So he's fooled by the outward show, which he asked her not to be. And uh, you, you could probably hear the reference to the Gospels in there. He says that gilded tombs, worms do hold, which is what Christ said about uh, the hypocrites in the, in the temple, was that they were like um, whitewashed tombs, that outside they were shining, but inside they were full of corruption. And he, so he loses, he leaves, and Portia says when he goes, she says, a gentle riddance, draw the curtains, go. And then she mutters to herself, let all of his complexion choose me so. Now, that's a complicated line because at the time, complexion didn't just mean color of the skin, though it obviously did mean that. It also meant character. And what your complexion was was all your, also your character. So she's making this tie that there is some tie. He was uh, overeager. He was passionate. He was kind of like a hot-blooded character, which is also sort of a classic Moorish trait. And so... He's, you know, Shakespeare is not saying that there are no racial characteristics. He's not saying that at all, but he is saying that the difference between a moral character is philosophy. He's not saying that people have no racial characteristics. He's saying your morality is based on what you believe and who you are and how you act. Which brings me to Othello, which is one of the most complicated plays about this. Othello is actually not about race, but it is about, it has a bigger theme, which is about the way things seem, the way they look, and the way they truly are. And that is, and the race is the symbol of that, right? The, the race is the, the fact that Othello has black skin, but is a hero among white Venetians. It brings up this larger question of what things are and what they seem. Now, the interesting thing about Othello, who is just a purely heroic character when the story begins, he's fighting off, you know, he's daring, he 
He's easygoing. He's, you know, just a bold warrior character. You love him the minute he walks on, on screen or on stage. The interesting thing is both he and Aaron show up. The first time they show up, they break up a sword fight. And I always took that to mean that Shakespeare's kind of going back to this evil more and thinking, you know what? I now have a much more complicated idea of what race means in our lives. So that maybe there are some qualities that go along with your race. Maybe, you know, there's some reason that Jews tend to study books. And maybe there's a reason why the Moors have this bold, cool warrior character that he likes, uh, that obviously he likes. But there's, some, there's something going on, and I want to explore this. What, what is the difference between what seems to be and what is? The interesting thing is the guy who is most like Aaron the Moor in this is a white man, Iago. Iago is evil, and Iago keeps, is out to destroy the Moor by making him jealous of his white wife, Desdemona. He wants to make him—Othello adores Desdemona. He loves this girl, and he is married to her, and he just adores her. And it drives Iago crazy. Iago, you know, it, there's a lot of question about why Iago hates Othello, and he makes several speeches about it, and he keeps coming back to this thing where he says, I hate the more. I think he's a racist. I think that Shakespeare was making him a racist. He hates the more. He makes a lot of remarks about a black man sleeping with a white woman. He doesn't like that at all. I think he's just trying to destroy the more. And what he hates about the more is that he thinks he should be an evil guy. He thinks he should be Aaron. He thinks he should be a bad guy because he's black. And he's not. He's not. So Iago tries to turn him into what he thinks a black man is. He tries to turn him into what he thinks a black man is. And the complicated thing about this is that there are things in Othello. He is quick to judge. He is a passionate guy. He's got a, a hot temper. And Iago plays on all these things. And there is a famous scene between the two of them, which always gets me. It's just what I find it one of the truly profound uh, moments in the play where Iago is trying to get him to suspect that Cassio is sleeping with his wife. His, his lieutenant Cassio is sleeping with his wife. And he keeps suggesting it and then pulling off. And Othello says to him, spit it out. What are you trying to say? This is cup 31. If thou dost love me, show me thy thought. My lord, you know I love you. I think thou dost. Before I know thou art full of love and honesty, and wearest thou words before thou gifts them breath. Therefore, these stops of thine fright me the more. For such things in a false disloyal knave are tricks of custom. But in a man that's just, they are close dilations working from the heart that passion cannot rule. For Michael Cassio, I dare be sworn, I think that he is honest. I think so too. Men should be what they seem. Or those that be not, would they might seem none. Certain men should be what they seem. Why then, I think Cassio's an honest man. <laughs> you know, Iago has already said, I am not what I am. He says, I am not what I am. But he says, a man should be what he seems. Men should be what they seem. And Othello agrees. Men should be what they seem. But they mean two different things because Iago is a villain. Othello means a man should be honest. He should be blunt. He should be bluff. He should say what he has to say. Iago means you, black guy, should act like a black guy and be the villain of this play. <laughs> he is turning him into what he wants him to be. And that is the way racism works. Racism actually does transform cultures into what they into the image of what of what hates them. It turns them into the image of what hates them because it's what they expect from people. It's what they tell them to be. It's what Iago tricks Othello into being. He tells them he he tricks him into being jealous, into being passionate, into finally committing murder. And just before Othello murders Desdemona for a, a, an 
infidelity she didn't commit, we find her singing a song that was taught to her by a maid named Barbary, which is where the Moors come from. So it's as if here's here's Othello, who is a, an assimilationist. He's become a Christian. We think he probably was a Muslim to begin with, but now he's become a Christian. He's fighting for Venice. He's fighting for white people. He considers himself a leader among men, a leader among these people. He considers himself one of them. He has done the state service, right? And now his wife is singing this Moorish tune as if he has turned her into him instead of him becoming what he wants to be, which is a respected warrior in Venice. And the last moment when Othello realizes he has done Desdemona wrong, he has killed her unfairly, the woman that he loved, he kills himself. Othello, you know, it's a Shakespearean tragedy. Everybody ends up dead. But before he kills himself, he says, in Aleppo once, where a malignant and turbaned Turk, a Muslim, beat a Venetian and traduced the state. I took by the throat the circumcised dog and smote him thus, and he stabs himself. And the implication is, is that somewhere in Othello was still this Muslim guy who tried to convert, tried to become a Venetian, tried to stand up for Venice, and now in killing that Moor, he has to, that Muslim, he has to kill himself. Iago turns him into this person. Iago will not let him become the Venetian warrior he wants to be. When I called my piece for City Journal a nation of Iagos, what I meant is I feel like the left is doing the same thing to black people. When you put up George Floyd as a hero, when you put up Dante Wright as a victim, instead of telling people, hey, guess what? You could be like Clarence Thomas. You could be like Thomas Sowell. You could be among the great intellectuals, the great judges, the great athletes, the great musicians of this country. So many great things that black people in this country have aspired to in tougher times than these and achieved. But the left keeps saying, no, no, no. You should be what you seem. You should be what you seem. We think of you as criminals. We think of George Floyd as the typical black guy. We think of the criminals in your neighborhood as the typical people, the people that you should look up to. We are living in a nation of Iagos. You are defined by your ideas. Are there racial traits? Probably. Probably. DNA is a powerful thing. We probably all have some traits, good and bad. We all have traits that have the potential for being good or bad, but we are God-made men and women, and you know that there is a potential to turn whatever traits we have to the good, to the better. And the left just keeps inspiring blacks to be the worst that they can be. It is a shame. It's a crime. The left is the worst thing. The Democrats truly are the worst thing that ever happened to black Americans. And we're seeing that full unfold on the streets of our cities. And we're seeing it unfold in the riots that are taking place and have been taking place since last summer. So this really happened to me the other day. I was playing uh, a video game with my grandson, one of those 3D video games, a Super Mario game, and it, the game was old, and I got so sick. It is a terrible, terrible feeling to get nauseous. I don't like, I do not like taking medicine almost for anything. Relief Band, I have used these. Relief Band is the number one FDA-cleared anti-nausea wristband that has been clinically proven to quickly relieve and effectively prevent nausea and vomiting associated with motion sickness, anxiety, migraines, hangovers, morning sickness, chemotherapy, and Super Mario. The product is 100% drug-free, non-drowsy, provides all natural relief with zero side effects for as long as needed. And they really work. It's cool. As the world's 
opening back up. Don't let the fear of nausea keep you on the sidelines. Right now, Relief Band has an exclusive offer just for my listeners. If you go to reliefband.com and use promo code CLAVEN, you'll receive 20% off plus free shipping and a no questions asked 30-day money-back guarantee. So head to R-E-L-I-E-F-B-A-N-D.com and use our promo code CLAVEN for 20% off plus free shipping. I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, well, I feel better and I know how to spell Relief Band, but how do you spell CLAVEN? <laughs> There's it's K. Oh, that's it. That's what. That's that's what I was trying to say. I forgot. Very troubling events between Twitter and Project Veritas uh, should concern everyone, left, right, and center. It's becoming easier and easier for big tech to silence people they view as quote unquote problematic. This problem is going to get worse before it gets better, and it's one of the principal reasons why the Daily Wire has decided to embrace a membership-based business model. We simply can't become reliant on big tech subject to their arbitrary whims. Each new member who joins us makes us a little less dependent on big tech. Building up our membership base is the only way we know to ensure the Daily Wire can continue to grow and thrive into the future. So if you're already a Daily Wire member, thank you. We truly appreciate it. If you are not a Daily Wire member, I hope you'll join us today. In fact, it is so vital that we quickly build up our membership base that we are offering 25% off new memberships when you use the code censorship at dailywire.com slash subscribe. We don't just want your support. We want to keep bringing you new and exciting content like tonight's episode of Candace. Tonight's episode streams live at 9 p.m. Eastern, 8 p.m. Central on dailywire.com right after the show. They'll be featuring the special guest, Adam Carolla. But if you aren't a member, you can get the audio podcast, Candace, which drops Saturdays on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcast. So remember, for a limited time, get 25% off a new membership when you use the code censorship at dailywire.com slash subscribe. Keep us from being dependent on big tech so we can keep bringing you the news and content you want to see. Okay, we got a great guest today, Adam Carolla, really good guy, really funny guy. He has the Guinness World Record for the most downloaded podcast, The Adam Carolla Show. He's a comedian, actor, podcaster, radio personality, and New York Times bestselling author. But what's he done for us lately? We'll ask him. So I want to talk about comedy because this is the thing that has been really uh, bugging me. It's really getting up my nose. You started out, you had a show with Jimmy Kimmel, The Man Show. And you used to do very elevated comedy, like women with large breasts bouncing up and down on trampolines. I, was, I loved it. I thought it was fantastic. So I found an article in which they traced the trajectory of Jimmy Kimmel and Adam Carolla, right? And here's, here's just a line from this article. It says- Really? It says, I didn't know there was um, an article. Yeah, here it is. Here it is. He said, both have gotten themselves in trouble in 2020. Jimmy Kimmel apologized after blackface impersonations resurfaced and caused a frenzy. Corolla stirred controversy, posting tweets downplaying COVID-19. Now, that seems to me a big difference. One of you is speaking your mind and saying what you have to say, and the other one is apologizing. Now, I, I know that you're pals with Jimmy Kimmel, and I don't want you to say anything bad about him, but has he become a sniveling eunuch? <laughs> Jimmy is one of the best people I've ever met I'm in sure my life. I'm sure that's true. But he is one of the best individual people I've ever met in my life, but he has to navigate and negotiate Hollywood and Hollywood is relentless. I mean, it just is relentless. I'm not, 
I don't have his national stage. I do a podcast. I write books. I make documentaries. I basically pulled myself off of that stage or was asked to leave many years ago. And and I had somebody say to me the other day, they said, did you see all this coming? And I said, no, I don't think so. And they said, well, you've been doing a podcast for over 12 years. Like you must've known something. And I was like, yeah, maybe I did know. Maybe I did know that I was not going to be able to live in that world. I wasn't going to be able to live in that corporate world. Wasn't going to be able to make my money off of, you know, doing sitcoms and being a part of Hollywood in a more mainstream way like I was. And also, I didn't really get into this to be successful as much as I got into it to speak my mind. I've always just kind of been that way. I don't I don't look at it as a choice or brave or defiant or anything. I just I just I got into comedy to speak my mind. I, I don't even I don't even claim that all that comes out of my mind is correct, although given given a little time in the little perspective, you will find that most things I announced that did come to fruition or were correct. But, you know, I got, I said, um, I said, COVID affects old people and sick people and the rest of you just got played and who's next. What's next? When, when are you getting played next? And I meant it. <laughs> Judd Apatow told me, take that down. I said, uh, I don't think so. And, uh, I think, save, uh, you know, the tweets where you go, my 14 year old nephew got COVID, you know, I get it. I'm not saying nobody outside of those two realms, but I'm saying by and large, that's where the death toll was. And that's what I was saying. And all I was saying was, is they made it seem like this was going to get to everybody and kill everyone. And my feeling is, is why don't we focus on the people who are at risk and give you know, we don't have unlimited time or resources. Why don't we decide who's at highest risk here and focus on them and leave my 14 year old twins out of the equation? And uh, that's what I meant. And I'm sticking by it. But, you know, when you were asked to apologize, you you actually said I'm not. You had a, a, a line. I think I'm getting this line right. I'm not apologizing. I'm a comedian. And it seems to me that apology uh, culture is like a cancer on comedy. I mean, you know, Kimmel has to apologize for having once worn blackface. Is that is it really bad to imitate a black person like Oprah Winfrey or something like that and put on blackface to do it? I mean, I understand that there was a culture of blackface that was inherently racist. But is it necessarily racist to dress up as somebody to, in order to make fun of them? Isn't that like a nice thing? Isn't that kind of don't friends make fun of one another? Is there... Is there no, is there any way you can continue to be funny if you have to apologize every time you step over the line? No, there's pictures of me that, uh, have resurfaced, but it's, they only resurfaced because I post them of me when I was 19 I, for Halloween, I went as Mr. T and people are like, yeah, you should exactly. apologize. I go, why should I apologize for worshiping Mr. T when I was 19? I mean, it's the ultimate progression in race relations. If you think about it, I watched TV. I loved Mr. T. And so I dressed as the guy who happens to be black named Mr. T. Uh, that's not a minstrel show. That's not blackface. That's not me making fun of black people. That's me wanting to look as much as I can look like Mr. T. You know, Jimmy Fallon got the same thing for doing Chris Rock. 
it, it's it's but again it it is the it's the attack on the English language. You know what Chris, what Jimmy Fallon did wasn't blackface. He was playing Chris Rock, who happens to be black. Exactly right, right. Which is, I mean, if if your kid, if if you ha- if you're a black guy and your kid comes to you on Halloween and wants to be Batman, would you tell him he can't be Batman because Batman is white? No, he puts on the little plastic mask with a white Batman face. And why can't a kid, a white kid, be Black Panther? I mean, is that essentially uh, be wearing blackface? And yet, and yet, what's what's fascinating to me about it is Megyn Kelly was thrown off TV for suggesting that that might be the case that blackface might not always be racist. Whereas the governor of Virginia is still there because if they get rid of him, they wind up with a Republican governor. So it's kind of it's not it's not as uh, sincere, I think, as as people think it is. They don't. The people I, who want you to apologize don't really care. I mean, that's that's something they, I figured yeah. out pretty, pretty early and often. They're not interested. And by the way, who are they? They speak for whom? Who do they speak for? The black community, the, the uh, Batman community the Mr. T community, like who, who, who decided that you would, or would be the spokesperson for this person or this group? I, I reject that notion. So during the, the Trump administration, I'm watching TV at night and every single late night comedian has the same opinion, exact same opinion. Nobody's laughing at the left. Nobody's making fun. Even now they're, they're saying, I mean, Samantha B said the other day, I'm not going to make fun of Joe Biden, which is, I don't even know how you, if you're a comedian, how you stop yourself from making fun of Joe Biden. Are there, are there still comedians that you like? Are there people who you sit and look at and think there's a guy who's doing what needs to be done to be funny? I don't have my ear to the ground and, or my finger in the wind of the comedic, you know, stand up community. I'm, I'm fairly detached from it for, from a, for a guy who does it for a living. Uh, I'm sort of like, sort of like, I always, always laugh about, you know, half the guys that were on the bears in the, you know, 1985, when Ditka would yell something at him, they'd probably some rookie would be like, coach, you don't know what it's like to be out on that field. <laughs> you know what I mean? I, uh, meaning, I've never been in the community, so to speak. You know, I had a radio background and a, and a construction background. So I've never really hung with the comedians. There's guys out there speaking their mind. There are guys and gals out there that are, that are funny, but it's just not a community that I've ever really socialized with, spent a lot of time with and, 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 or study. What do you think? In terms of you being, because you're a very funny guy, what do you, what do you think when uh, you hear, for instance, people talking about transgenderism as if you can think your way from being one sex to another? Not not that somebody might have a problem with the bodies, and I understand that, and I understand that nature makes all kinds of uh, strange, goes down all kinds of strange pathways. But the argument of the left is that you literally become a woman when you think that you might have some feminine traits. Can you make fun of that? I mean, is is that the sort of thing that like feeds into comedy or do you look at that and just think that's beyond laughing at? I, I don't think there's anything that's inherently off the table comedically. I, I, I was at a Hugh, I think I was at the Hugh Hefner roast in New York city 
we taped that for Comedy Central about 10 days after 9-11. And we were three miles away from, you know, the smoldering ashes and the rubble of, of 9-11. And Gilbert Godfrey was doing 9-11 jokes. And really? yeah. yeah. And in New York City, you know, we weren't in uh, Crete. We were in New York City. And um, some people found it distasteful. Other people laughed. Other people were sort of toggled in between, you know, both those those emotions. And it's been, uh, you know, 20, whatever, 20, almost 20 years or 20 years. And I do remember that, you know. And so if you say to me, what other jokes do you remember from that night? I will say none, except for I remember Gilbert Godfrey was doing jokes about 9-11. Um, I, didn't, I didn't think he had anything to do with 9-11. I now think differently. Uh, but at the time... <laughs> yeah. No, I, I, re I realized he didn't... He, he's, a, he's a New Yorker. He was probably scared and heartbroken by 9-11. By I didn't think he was happy about it. I didn't think he was disrespecting, you know, in my world, it's, it's hard. The people that are dead are dead. It, it's, it's, it's hard for him to disrespect him. I, I didn't assume family members were in the audience and, um, that's his prerogative. You know, I, you know, there are things for me that I, I don't find funny and I, I don't like to, you know, I don't like to make fun of, but that's, that's my own personal decision. And I certainly couldn't decide it for other people. Right. And you don't want to destroy the guy for, for even for stepping, I mean, comedians step over the line sometimes that's kind of part of your job. Yeah. Although, you know, I would kind of argue for a comedian, there shouldn't be a line, you know, maybe there should be a line for <laughs> politicians and school teachers and bus drivers, but I don't know if there should be a line for comedians. That's, that's, that's what comedy is historically. So you made a documentary with uh, Dennis Prager, No Safe Spaces. And you traveled around to the colleges and confronted the fact that colleges specifically, where you're supposed to be learning the liberal arts, you're supposed to be learning the great, what they used to call the great conversation, which is all the different thoughts that people have had in Western civilization through the centuries. They've kind of become centers of censorship and uh, and centers of, uh, you know, what they call snowflakeism, people who just get, feel that they're under attack if anybody disagrees with them. Do you, do you foresee, I mean, you've always had a really good sense of what was coming down the pike. Do you foresee that as getting worse or it, are we going to reach a point where we just can't stand that anymore? I think what we're going to do and what we're creating, I was talking to you on my podcast that there was a White Lives Matter rally, which is inevitable because you can only have right. so many black lives. Look, you could only have, forget about race. You could only have so many green lives matter rallies before you had an orange lives matter rally. That's just kind of who, who we are as, as human beings, you know? So I've been kind of studying it and I've been saying for years that, you know, people keep saying, where are we heading as a society? I, I say half the country's going to safe spaces and the other half's going to an octagon. That's what this is going to create. And I've been 
kind of interestingly kind of noticing driving through LA. I do a lot of commuting and I've spent a lot of time on the road. I have started seeing more Teslas and more Priuses and more hybrids and, you know, full, uh, all electric cars and stuff like that. But I I've seen a, I've seen a lot of Teslas, a lot of Teslas, but in the last two years, I've seen a lot of Jeeps with, and a lot of mm. Ford Raptor pickup trucks. You know, there's no reason to ever own a Ford Raptor. I I'm a car guy, but that, that essentially is a, Baja 1000 trophy truck, you know, big knobby tires, big suspension lift kits. So what do we have? Well, we have Teslas and we have Ford Raptors and even the, even Dodge Ram has gotten to the mix with their, Oh God, what is the ramp? It's the RX or uh, what is it? Chris will, will tell me the TRX, which is the uh, Tyrannosaurus Rex. It's, it's going to kill the Raptor. The, the point <laughs> is, is, you know, these cars have 700 plus horsepower and can do 140 miles an hour under, you know, on uneven terrain in the desert. There's no reason to be going down PCH or Wilshire Boulevard in one of those. So, well, what do we have? Well, we have half the population saying, I want a Tesla. And you have the other population going that I'm getting a Raptor. Now, we used to all just drive around in Camrys and Accords because we, we weren't trying to make a statement. We just hung out in the middle. More and more Jeeps, more and more off-road vehicles, more and more big-ass trucks with lift kits on it, and more and more Teslas. And that's where we're headed. So how does that play out in terms of uh, media? You know, you did, you did the man show. You couldn't, put, you couldn't put the man show on any outlet that I can think of today, including, I think, right-wing outlets. I don't think, you know, the Daily Wire would put on the man show with its, what they British call laddish humor, you know, kind of frat boy humor. It, will, there, will there exist, will there come into being uh, outlets that will do that again, that will be politically incorrect again? Or does political incorrectness just keep spreading like a sort of, you know, toxic fog? I think wherever you create a void, something will, will rush in and fill it, you know? And mm. if you have a thousand Mexican food restaurants, then somebody's going to open a burger joint. You know, it just, it just creates that, you know, it's like, look at uh, Gutfeld. You know, there was never any kind of nighttime, late night, thing that had any kind of, um, conservative right wing, anything. And, and now, now there is. So I think, I think there's always going to be, I, I think the trend. Yeah. I was actually talking to Dr. Drew about this, um, earlier today. And I said, half the you know, the country's basically split in half. You got folks on the right and folks on the left. Now the folks on the left, have all the cool, coolest people from high school. They got the LeBron Jameses, they got the Obamas, they got Oprahs, they got all the, all the George Clooney's, all the cool kids are on the left, but, and the right has no, you know, we got Scott Bayo and Ted Nugent, you know what I mean? There's nothing, there's nothing on the right. Nobody's, nobody's creating this or doing that. There's the left has Sasha Baron Cohen, you know? And so that seems like the cool party to go to, but everyone still just gets one vote. And if you're selling tacos, 
there's still four bucks a taco, whoever, whether LeBron James is buying one or, or Ted Nugent is buying one. And I think media is starting to kind of wake up to it slowly, but they're starting to wake up to it and go, there's a lot of people at that uncool kids party and they got credit cards and they drive cars and they shop. Like, how about, how about something for them? And I think, I think this is a trend that you're going to see. I also said, um, you know, I was, if you look at the, I'll give you a very good example here in terms of the way it's kind of shifting. I think if you took a look at the iTunes, you know, top 100 podcast five years ago, the only conservative you'd see on there would be Ben Shapiro. Now there's probably 10, 12, 15 in the top 50. So where did this come from? It was created, you know, and it was so much, to the left that it created opportunities for, you know, Dan Bongino. I like Dan Bongino, but we, we probably wouldn't know who Dan Bongino was if it didn't pull so hard to the left and create an opening for a, a Dan Bongino or many others of, of his ilk. So the, the classic, I, I, I'm running out of time, but just last question, the, the classic, um, set point for most conservatives is all is lost. That's almost instantly anything changes on earth and immediately conservatives think all is lost. That's just the way they're built. But you don't seem to be saying that. You don't, I mean, the, the left is making a concerted effort to use cor- the power of corporations, use the power of social media to shut down and demonize all voices on the right. But you seem to feel like it doesn't matter. The, those voices will eventually rise uh, one way or the other. Is that is that fair? Fair to say? Well. Look, um, I think they have. I mean, Gutfeld is doing great in the ratings. And, you know, Gutfeld's good. And I like Greg, but this is, the ratings are more what has been created by the hard pull to the left, you know. My take is you either want to, we're, unfortunately, we're creating an environment where you have to declare a major. You either have to go right or you have to go left. The, the, the people that shall be punished, you say the right is being punished. Well, Ben Shapiro is not being punished. Ben Shapiro is thriving. And the Daily Wire is thriving. Candace Owens is not, you know, Jordan Peterson. No, no. I'll tell you who gets punished. Anyone who lives in the middle. Because that is essentially, it's trench warfare and you're Kevin Costner just riding a horse like right down the middle. You got both sides (laughs) shooting at you. It's essentially trench warfare. And if you're literally in the middle of trench warfare, your ass is grass. It's, it's, It's not necessarily that one trench is better than the other. It's anyone who thought they could hang out in the middle is not going to survive anymore. And, 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 and there is no financial viability to hanging out in the middle anymore. There used to be a financial viability. Now you must either head to the left and, you know, hang out with Joy Reed, or you can go join the daily wire. You can't just sort of that. That's, that's kind of what I was talking about with Dr. Drew, because Dr. Drew is kind of a centrist. He's kind of a middle guy. He's like, I agree with this point. I agree with that. I said, there's no, t- no one, no one cares about that anymore. By the way, 
the left doesn't recognize a center. They only recognize a left and a right. There is no center for the left. So if you think you're going to be a sensible, even keeled guy and get jobs in Hollywood, no, you are not. They don't have a middle. It's it's like a restaurant that doesn't have a, a medium. They just have a small and a large. They do not recognize the middle. So you're better off just going over to the right and, you know, hanging your shingle there. Adam Carolla, one of the podcast pioneers, one of the most popular podcasters in the country still. It's great to see you. Thanks for coming on. I'll talk to you soon. Thanks, Andrew. All right. <laughs> Wait a minute. I haven't even started. What are you doing? <laughs> All right. Gather your problems around you. Kiss them on the head. Tell them goodbye. It is time for the mailbag. Now scream. Some people will say we're packing the court. We're not packing it. We're unpacking it. Yeah. <laughs> Gerald Nadler has a word, an honest word would die of loneliness in that guy's mouth. All right. From Scott with American society on a fast track to destruction. I admire the Daily Wire's approach to regain culture through sound journalism. So many aspects to the decline of the Americas as our forefathers envisioned uh, that you all have covered so well. Is there any, are there any examples in history that we have of a culture being reappropriated to its former glory without self-destruction or war? Yes, there is. Uh, one of the things about this time that, it, that this time reminds me of is it very much reminds me of the early 19th century in England, which was a very revolutionary time. The French Revolution had inspired young people to become radicals. The fact that the revolution had failed, like the Soviet Union failed, did not convince radicals that they had made a mistake, as the failure of the Soviet Union did not convince the left that they had made a mistake. There were people, there was a rise in science, which was cutting into people's belief in God. There were uh, people who wanted, with without God, people were saying that marriage should go away, gender roles should be destroyed, uh, early feminism was starting. Uh, so it was very much like this time. And yet, and yet, within uh, a very few years, the Victorian era started. Now, some people don't like the Victorian era because it was uh, sexually repressive and the sexual repression came with hypocrisy, as sexual repression always does, and with prostitution and there was great poverty. But that, I think that's utterly wrong. I think that that is utterly wrong. I think the Victoria era was Victorian era was one of the great eras uh, in Western history and in England. Uh, it was an era of reform. It was an era of empire building of a great empire that helped spread English culture around the world. Uh, and it was an era of great literature, uh, of, of, of great advances in science. And it was a time when England rediscovered itself and reconstituted itself and um, became a an even greater nation than it had been before, and it was the British century. So that was an example of a country that had really uh, kind of gone wrong, and it was a very uh, it was steeped in a lot of immoral stuff in the late 18th century. Uh, but it had changed, and it became a better country, and it became a better country both politically and uh, socially. It went back and forth between left and right governments, but ma- managed to build uh, this tremendous empire, which I think was a, a, a net positive in the world. It actually cost the British money to run the empire. Uh, they, didn't, they didn't profit off it. And, uh, and I think it was an amazing moment of things going differently. Another perfect example was during the 20s, uh, when there was high crime that was leading to a depression, and it was there was... Um, uh, there was immoral, you know, immoral, immorality, high, like lots of uh, loose sex and all that stuff led to, to war. But so there was a war there. But then you had the 50s 
which was a much different and I think much more productive time. So countries do reconstitute themselves. As somebody once said, there's a lot of ruin in a nation. Uh, things are not over. And it always, as I always say, you know, you might lose a fight, but you can't win a surrender, right? So the people, the, the people, especially conservatives, we're going, it's over. Our country is destroyed. It's fine. It's finished. Don't listen to them because they're not contributing anything whatsoever. Uh, the next question is from Leanne. I have watched you and all the Daily Wire guys for quite a while. I have a question I've been struggling with. My son has recently told us that he's gay. I love him more than words can say, and whether he's gay or not does not change my love for him at all. The issue I was having is I am also a Christian, and knowing that your son is gay, who I also enjoy watching, and you and he are both Christians, how do you bring the two together? I do not want my son to go to hell and have a hard time with what the Bible says regarding homosexuality. I do not know how to bring this together in my mind. Also, whether he is gay or not, would still like him to be a Christian and would like to advise on how to bring him to Christ. Uh, I'm sorry, this, I know this is not very easy to put on paper, but basically what I'm saying is I love my gay son and I love Christ. Help. Well, I love my gay son and I love Christ as well, and I am thrilled that he is a Christian person, and I feel that he has honestly and truly dealt with his belief in Christ and his belief that he has the right to have a loving and monogamous uh, and faithful relationship, that, it, that and this is something he has reasoned through very closely. There's a book uh, that he gave me that I read about, about it called, um, I, you know, what is it called? It's called Religion and, I'll tell you what it's called. It's by James V. Brownson. It's called Bible Gender Sexuality, Bible Gender Sexuality. And one of the problems I have with churches that accept gay people is they haven't reasoned it through. They're simply talking about what is popular in the world, and so they become corrupt. And the, and the churches that uh, don't accept homosexuality, I feel have not reasoned it through as well, but they are saying something that is much more traditional. But here's the point. It doesn't matter. First of all, it's not going to be your choice whether he goes to hell or not, right? That's not going to be something that you decide. It's not going to be something your pastor decides. It's not even, even I, I know it's hard to believe, even I don't get a vote on who goes to hell or not. <laughs> this is something that is entirely in God's hands. So, the question to ask yourself is this, whatever you believe about this, because it's not for me, I'm not a theologian, I'm not going to tell you what to believe about it, but, but whatever you believe about it, you have two voices in your head. One of them is telling you, I love this kid, whether he's a sinner or not. I love this guy, whether he is a sinner or not. And the other is, a telling, is telling you essentially to make his life a living hell, to shun him, to lecture at him, to wag your finger at him, to uh, basically pass a judgment on you that is on him that is not yours to make. Which of those sounds more like the voice of Christ? I mean, I, what I would say is that your love for him, whether or not uh, he is in sin, and we're all, you know, let's face it, we're all in sin. It's one way or another. Uh, I, don't, I don't understand why homosexuality has become the only sin that you could possibly commit. We're all in our minds, in our hearts. You know we're all steeped in sin, every single one of us, and we were forgiven before we came out of sin. Uh, Christ died for us before we stopped being sinners. Uh, and so the voice in your mind that is saying, I love this kid, I'm going to give him all my love, I'm going to love him no matter what, no matter what he does, I, I want and I'm going to show him the love of Christ in its female form by being his loving mother, uh, as I hope that my son can get some pale glimmer of the male uh, you know, portion of Christ in my love for him. Uh, you know, I think that's the voice of God, and I think you follow that voice. Uh, that you know, there are all kinds of sins. There's gluttony. You know, I never saw a fat guy thrown out of church. I never saw anybody demand that he stop eating so much. Uh, you know, Jesus preached against divorce. Churches have uh, classes on how to get through <laughs> divorce. You know, 
it just seems this one sin is some somehow a showstopper. Here's the thing. You want him to live an honest, decent, loving life. You will have to decide for yourself what you think about homosexuality, but you don't have to decide for him. You don't have to decide for him. All you have to do is love him with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and love God the same way. And that's the easiest and simplest way to leave him to God. And what God tells him to do about his sexuality, and I hope he will ask God about his sexuality, as I hope all of us uh, talk to God about our sexuality, uh, what God tells him to do will be between him and God. That voice of love in your mind is the voice uh, of your Lord, and I think that that's the voice that you should follow, most importantly. I'm not telling you what you think on the issue. I'm just simply saying, when I hear that mother love in your voice, I know that that is the right thing. Um, Here's a very long letter that I'll have to, I'm running out of time, I'll have to uh, condensed. It's from Holly. She says, hello, hot Gandalf. I had to include that part because that's my favorite new name. I'm putting that, having that inscribed in gold on my uh, business cards right over uh, Master of the Multiverse. Uh, I just love that hot Gandalf. Uh, she says she's had this personal matter that um, she was a student for over a decade. She had came from a dysfunctional family. She was a student of a local college professor of music. Uh, she was in his ensembles as a high schooler and through college. She developed relationships with his whole family. Uh, when she was 22, she went on her final choral tour to Europe, and there he made a pass at her. He told her he loved her uh, and uh, basically tried to seduce her. She refused, but he um, he then became obsessive. He followed her every move. She was married at this point. She was married at this point. She followed her every move on social media. One evening, she says, I went out with friends, and he called me a dozen times. And the next morning, he was waiting outside my apartment and blocked me with his car so he could talk to me. He says, her husband, and she moved, but she still feels that she's rejected by her old friends. She feels he may be talking about her. Uh, this is eight years ago. He remains a beloved and admired community leader of the Lutheran College. She says, I cringe when people mention him glowingly, as they often do, and I hate thinking that he's moved past it and she feels haunted by it and she doesn't know what to do. Holly, here's one of these questions where I can't tell you what to do. I can only tell, she says her parents told her that nothing happened. In other words, they had no sex or nothing happened. Uh, I can't tell you what to do. I can only tell you what I would do. It is not true that nothing happened. This guy violated every possible restriction, every possible moral restriction. You were in his charge. I know what this is like. I have young women who have sometimes been employed with me. I work with young women. I have worked with young women when women are in your charge. Even if you fall in love with them and anybody can fall in love with anybody, even if that happens, you keep your mouth shut. I would put a bullet in my foot before I would do what this guy did to you. He abused you. This was traumatic. Uh, he was a father figure to you. When you said you're a father figure, he seemed to be disgusted because he didn't want you telling him he was old. I can't prove this, but I, I'm not so sure that you're the only one. I'm sure he said to you, you're the only, this is the only time this has ever happened. Doesn't mean that's true. He may be doing it again. So all I can say is what I would do is I would inform the school. I would go there personally. I would uh, follow up with a letter and tell them this is what happened. I follow up with a letter. Uh, I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't make it like Ahab going after the white whale. I wouldn't become obsessed with it. But I would make sure I said what I said. You suffered a trauma. He did a bad, bad thing to you. It is not true that nothing happened. He did a rotten thing to you. He he screwed up. He he betrayed his responsibility to you. You are right to feel traumatized. You might want to get some therapy too. You know, People feel traumatized because something bad happens to them and they felt helpless and they didn't take action. So I would take action. I would inform the, the 
school. I would form them in person and follow it up by letter. And I would be prepared for the blowback. There might be blowback. You might even have to testify at some point. Uh, there might be blowback. It might be trouble. If you don't, if you don't want to do that, I still suggest that you get therapy for what happened. This is a traumatic thing. Uh, it's, it's completely understandable that you are haunted by it. I got to stop there. Good luck. If, uh, if you decide to do that, I'd love to hear what happens. I'd love to hear back from you. Um, I got to stop there. That means the Clavenless week is upon you. That means you're doomed. Sorry. What can I do? I, I can't do everything. I can't take care of everything. There will be wailing. There will be gnashing of teeth. There will be exterior darkness. But for those of few of you who survive, we will be back here next Friday. I'm Andrew Claven. This is The Andrew Claven Show. Hey, if you enjoyed this episode and want to spread the word, give us a five-star review and tell your friends to subscribe, too. We're available on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, basically wherever you listen to podcasts. Also, remember to check out the other Daily Wire podcasts, including The Ben Shapiro Show, The Matt Walsh Show, and The Michael Knoll Show. Thanks for listening. The Andrew Claven Show is produced by Robert Sterling. Executive producer, Jeremy Boring. Our technical director is Austin Stevens. Supervising producer, Mathis Glover. Production manager, Pavel Vidowski. Edited by Danny D'Amico. Lead audio mixer, Mike Cormina. Animations are by Cynthia Angulo. Production coordinator, McKenna Waters. And our production assistant is Jacob Falash. The Andrew Claven Show is a Daily Wire production. Copyright Daily Wire 2021. Today on the Matt Wall Show, yet another police shooting sparks outrage and protest. This time, a 13-year-old boy is killed. As always, everyone is blaming the police, but I think we should move the conversation from policing to parenting. That's the real source of the trouble and the thing that nobody seems to want to talk about. Also, five headlines, including the Democrats begin their push for reparations while a bunch of white celebrities come out in support of the idea, and the media baselessly smears Ron DeSantis in the most vile way imaginable. Finally, in our daily cancellation, we'll discuss the scientists We've now begun creating half-monkey, half-human hybrid embryos. What could possibly go wrong? Or better yet, what could possibly go right with a plan like that? All of that and more today on The Matt Walsh Show. Caesars Sportsbook is the only sportsbook app with Caesars Rewards. That means win or lose, every bet brings you closer to the types of perks only Caesars can offer. Like hotel stays at over 50 iconic destinations, bonus bets, daily profit boosts, tickets to the game, dining, and so much more. Whether you're a new or existing customer, Caesars Sportsbook is always rewarding. Must be 21. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Caesars Sportsbook. Don't just spectate, participate.